Before we start today's episode, I have an opportunity that I'd like to share with the audience. My name is Matt Goche. I've been hosting this podcast since January of this year, and I do not have life insurance. Coming into the life insurance industry with a marketing background provided me with very limited understanding and access to what life insurance actually does. That said, I think it's time that I start protecting my family's future. As a father of a young family, I don't want to leave them without if something was to happen. And that's where you come in. I'm looking to partner with insurance advisors who will walk me through the process of getting insurance and then catalog and share with you my experiences of going through the process of getting evaluated and finding a product that fits my needs and then sharing the frustrations and things that went well so that you can see it from a customer's point of view. Because a lot of the time, it's easy to get wrapped up in process and the way that you sell and the way you do things, but it's different hearing it from the other side. So if you would like to connect with me, feel free to send me a message on LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Matt Goche. Uh, you can also email me, matt.goche, G-A-U-T-H-I-E-R, at lifedesignanalysis.com. And I'd love to talk with you and continue the conversation offline. Hi, and welcome to Policy Pod by LDA. My name's Matt Goche, and I'll be your host. This podcast aims to break down common trends, problems, and concepts in the life insurance industry. We wanted to create a place where we could talk openly about things that confuse clients and advisors alike. This episode, I was joined by Charlie Conron and Rich DeRitter of Life Design Analysis, as well as Aaron McKee from Echelon Wealth Partners, where we talked about book of business or block of business feeds and why they are important to the entire life insurance industry. With the warm weather finally starting to settle in, I know that much like many of you, I'm starting to look forward to evenings around a campfire up at the lake. But just because you are away from your office doesn't mean that your insurance practice can't be working for you while you're away. LDA Lead Gen turns your website into a lead generation machine, turning web traffic into potential leads by allowing visitors to enter their information in a basic needs analysis and producing a fully branded LDA report showcasing various insurance options that fit their needs at only $20 a month. To learn more, visit www.lifedesignanalysis.com forward slash lead dash gen. That's www.lifedesignanalysis.com forward slash L-E-A-D dash G-E-N. Or contact us to see a demo of LDA Lead Gen in action today. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a, it's a big topic, but it's going to be a very good conversation, I can already tell. Today, we're joined by Charlie Conron, president and co-founder of LDA, as well as Rich DeRitter, the vice president of business intelligence and data warehousing, and Aaron McKee, vice president of wealth services and insurance at Echelon Wealth Partners. She's also the 2023 chair of the Investment Institute of Canada's insurance committee. So thank you very much for joining today. Cool. Thanks, Matt. I'll, uh, 
I'll sort of refine the, the um, Investment Institute Association of Canada. They have a few pillars there, um, one of which is retail wealth management, and it's under that pillar that there's a, a subcommittee uh, that focuses uh, on insurance, and it's a number of national firms across the country um, uh, and individuals who volunteer from those firms to you know, pursue different industry topics and uh, converse on how we can uh, really collaborate. Yeah, not, I'm not here today in any capacity uh, to speak on their behalf at all, um, but that is one industry association that I'm part of. I'm also part of uh, KLU, Conference of Advanced Life Underwriters, uh, as an associate member. I'm part of uh, Financial Services Regulatory Authority of Ontario, FISRA's uh, Technical Advisory Committee, Awesome. Well, Aaron, if you can uh, kind of expand further, tell us a bit about your background, how you're in the industry, and then also why being an advocate or a champion of book and business feeds for advisors has been so important to you. So I've always really been in the insurance uh, industry since I was out of college. And, you know, a number of individuals, like I think the statistics are 95% of insurance advisors burn out in the first two years. Uh, super tough industry to to be a part of and get traction in. Um, so my like shtick was, I, uh, you know, it's, it's really your natural market or you're out there um, cold calling. But, um, you know, the idea was I'll just work other people's book of business and focus on organic business development. So I've, I've really been doing that uh, since the beginning of my career is, is re reflecting on existing clients and selling to generation two, generation three. Um, and I was at a great uh, firm in Toronto for a number of years, working with a second generation of their uh, families and, and corporate clients. And it was in that role where I discovered how darn hard it is to actually get a comprehensive view of what your business is, right? You've been in the industry for 40 years, maybe you're at a few different managing uh, general agents, MGAs, uh, different codes at every carrier. And there wasn't like one dashboard to go to and view what your business is, um, which as a young person in the industry blew my mind and also made it really hard to do that organic business development. And that's about 2016. I, uh, I set up a one-person consulting group, McKee Insurance Consulting, uh, it was just me peddling my uh, my interest and in putting together, you know, identifying opportunities in a book of business for uh, business development or risks in a business, right? Um, so we worked uh, in New England uh, for a couple of years on a management consultant visa and uh, aggregated books of business for hundreds of advisors at a, a brokerage general agent. It's really like the same as an MGA is in Canada, um, and it, the same issue that we have in Canada is in the US. It's like really hard to do. You get Excel spreadsheets and you have to pull it all together and sort through and there's there's no standardized formats. That's really hard to do. Um, and then I <laughs> I did that for a couple of years, ended up back in Canada working back inside the business, um, which is sort of in the capacity that I'm here today. I work at uh, Echelon Wealth Partners and lead their insurance agency and then wealth services for their retail wealth management pillar. But you know, nothing has really changed significantly compared to when I first started in the industry in like 09 or 2010. Um, there's been a lot of progress since COVID. Uh, the joke is always like, who was the leader in like technology dis uh, disruption? And was it your CTO, your CEO, or was it COVID? 
there was that meme circulating around. We all saw it. Uh, I, I think we know. even posted one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you did. So um, I'm excited to, to, you know, talk shop with you guys a bit today and share my perspective. And uh, Rich, why don't you give a little background about yourself as well, uh, as you're new to the podcast? Sure. Uh, new to the podcast, somewhat new to the industry, been around for a couple of years in the industry, about 25 years in data. So I've always been a data guy for the first 20 years or so. It was in the pharmaceutical industry. So there's actually a lot of parallels going on with prescription data and insurance life data, basically. So uh, I've done many CRM implementations, data integration on many levels, data warehousing, master data management. So uh, you name it, I've been there as far as data goes. Um, but for the last couple of years, I've been helping uh, LDA advance our, uh, our data warehousing and business intelligence areas. So <clears throat> we've been very interested in the uh, Kit's Book of Business feed to help us with our uh, mass data loads. In the past, we dealt with onesies, twosies with advisors, helping them with those spreadsheets when they grabbed them off the carriers. But now we're partnering with MGAs and at a higher scale. So we're getting, we're working with carriers and, and MGAs together and getting much larger, you know, book of business files now and, and uh, dealing with those. So, you know, down the road, we have lots of plans for all this. Hoping to help out with pushing this forward more. Well, let's talk about that a little bit more. You know, you know it's interesting, Aaron, that you and Charlie similarly uh, start in a kind of the same situation. You both young people coming into the industry, seeing a problem, saying, well, why is this the way it is? This is silly, right? Um, Charlie helping his stepfather with his insurance practice and you coming into the insurance practice. Is, it's just, uh, it's interesting how those two roads very similarly met and both deal with the same problem, like LDA. We, we help bring those one two Z for the advisors and now with the MGAs, bringing their block of business in so they can manage it. Uh, but Charlie, why is this for the advisors? Why is this so important to do and, and have one spot for them to see their book? Well, it's, I mean, it's hugely important. One, from a compliance standpoint, right? We measure these agents on the service they provide to the clients and expect them to diligently serve these clients. But without the proper information, um, it's really hard to scale those practices. So when I got brought into this industry, and uh, I, I kind of laughed, we didn't tell Rich how bad the, the data was in this industry before he joined. But uh, um, when I joined, basically, it was my stepfather brought me into his office. And, and similarly, you know, he wanted technology to help increase his sales and help increase efficiency. And so, you know, I, as I first looked at it, I've, I've mentioned, I think, a couple of different places, um, if anyone's heard the backstory on LDA. Um, I really saw a huge opportunity, one in the information presented on that quoting side. Um, but once I started to understand the product types and the, um, the life cycle really of them, you know, when you look at the patterns on a term 10 as an example and see the renewal premium, or if you look at a YRT UL cost um, versus something permanent, you sort of look at the penetration of these products in the industry. You know, if most products, let's call it 70% of products sold out there is term product. Essentially, everyone who's bought that product has a ticking time bomb, meaning that at some point the renewal is going to hit. And, and Larry would often joke, he'd say term insurance is like a diaper, and at some point you have to change it. And you know, I think for the average advisor, problem grows over time. You start with a few clients, you get a few more, you get a few more, and it's easy to manage at first. Larry was managing about 800 clients um, out of Manila file folders. He had two secretaries to balance the workload. 
And the first thing I did was, well, why can't we digitize this? Because you're sitting on a gold mine of opportunity. I said, so for everyone, let's call it 600 clients that you have, they all have a problem we can solve with a new sale. And so one, from a production standpoint, from the agents, you know, I thought this was extremely valuable because, you know, what better opportunity to sell something to someone that is actually going to help them and actually going to solve a future problem that they have. Um, but two was, you know, again, make sure they don't run out of insurance. So, you know, the current process, when someone's insurance is about to expire, we send them a, a snail mail letter 60 days in advance of a policy premium going from, let's say, you know, $1,000 a year to 10000 And, you know, I don't, I put myself in the consumer situation. I'm just moving homes. I don't think I would get that letter. I may not read the letter. And there's a potential liability. If I don't renew my coverage, my coverage lapses. Uh, because I haven't converted it or purchased a new product, that's a liability for the agent. I think there's a big, a big risk out there in terms of compliance, uh, but there's also a big missed sales opportunity. Uh, and again, I think you know, with the work we're doing with Inforce, um, we're really trying to scale that up from you know that individual advisor who has 700 clients um, to MGAs who have um, you know 8,000 advisors each with. 500 to 700 clients. And, and that's the, uh, that's the real goal we're working towards. And it's not just even those policyholders, how many people have, uh, their, their advisor retired or their blocks been missed. And now they're, they're just, uh, you know, missing, <laughs> they're just floating around with no advisor. Yeah. I mean, the orphan problem in our industry is, uh, in- incredibly large. Um, and back to Aaron's kind of original point, if an advisor generally burns out after two years in the business, what happens to those clients? How do they get service? And, and generally, you know, they sort of go to the MGA, they float out there, you wait for another advisor to pick them up. But oftentimes that client's not coming back on the market for another eight years when their term policy comes up and shocks them. You know, hey, you have no coverage. And, you know, if you had an advisor, if you had some sort of technology looking after these policies, it could have alerted you that, you know, you could have converted this to a reasonable price or you could have switched it to permanent product. And again, a lot of clients will come back and say, well, you know, why didn't my advisor tell me that? Or how come I didn't know I had that option from the carrier? Um, and that's where, again, we need these feeds to be better because we need to be able to scale the process. There's the saying, uh, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Uh, and I, I talk about orphan policies more than some of my friends and family want to hear me talk about orphan policies. The industry might say there are no orphan contracts, right? Because they're is an agent or a licensee associated with a policy, but it's not an entity that services, you know, Jane Smith down the street. It's a a person and you need a person to give you that advice. You know, I haven't seen AI with advancements that can um, help a family decide what their, their needs are and take a look at their cash flow, sort of what they can afford. Um, So, you know, because, that agent's contract or uh, license rolls up to an MGA or a national account, they, that policy is not orphaned because there's a licensee that's involved in the management of that policy. But, uh, you know, I talk a lot about it takes an individual licensee to service. But there are publications online about and in paper previously about the percentage of orphan contracts um, where there actually isn't an individual agent associated with, as the agent of record. However, you can't tell me with any certainty that there aren't any orphans or there are because we don't have any data feeds for a book of business, including legacy, like old 
old acquired books of business to go over to the certain column and take a look at who's assigned as the agent of record. In my days, pulling together book of businesses manually with like Excel or Word, or the worst is an image of uh, a contract that, you know, there's the, the agent of record is the estate of Jane Smith as the agent. Uh, an estate is not an agent. Like that's uh, crazy. So who is responsible for, for servicing that? So I think the book of business data feeds and providing this, Rich spoke about the, the kids feeds to not only the distribution channels, like the MGAs, but uh, making sure that it gets in the hands of that individual agent to then in turn service that client is, is key. Like so much of our industry issues would be resolved by uh, something as fun as book, as book of business data feed. Yeah, it's funny when you mention AI and you think of all these other industries that something like chat GPT or as advanced as that exists in the world, and yet we're still getting XML payload files. And I guess, you know, maybe for those listening who don't know or understand what an XML file is, Rich, maybe walk us through how uh, how feeds come in. When we talk about these kits feeds, um, you know, I think a lot of people imagine a real-time connection like an API or something where you would you have a subscriber updater model. These feeds are, are nowhere near that advanced. Maybe, Rich, walk us through, you know, when you talk about a policy load, what does that involve on your side? Yes, Kleidus has come up with this standard XML structure. And XML is handy because you can back it up with a schema or a defined structure that it has to meet. But within that structure, a lot of it can be um, optional. So anyways, the, an XML file is, is uh, a nice structured, normalized way. I don't want to go too data techie on you guys, but an XML structure allows you to become a normalized structure within a single file rather than having separate files. You might have thought, you know, one file for the people, one file for their addresses, and you can smash that together into an XML. So these XML files, we currently actually consume about uh, I don't know, six or seven, uh, and they vary from monthly to weekly frequency. So the carriers extract this data out of their backend systems to, uh, to us, and these are full dumps, like I mentioned, per MGA. So you'll get a file for one MGA. So these files, while XML is handy for being able to manage these sort of relationships between data, using these tags within the data, those tags are a lot of overhead. So some of these files are approaching one gig, say. So we get a, a gigabyte file every week, say. And weekly is probably the most frequent. Um, we are working with a couple of carriers now. They're performing Delta files. So rather than the full extracts, Every week or month, they are sending us a delta every week or month. So whatever changes over that time, they send us, which is a bit better. And there is even a carrier that's utilizing this XML structure to do a near real-time, we'll say. So every time there's a change in one of the policies or every five minutes or whatever their frequency is, they'll dump out a file with just those changes every few minutes. And then people can consume those in bulk at whatever frequency they want. So the uh, frequency is not, it's not API driven yet. It is meant for more of a bulk transfer, even though XML is really more meant for a transactional exchange of information on a smaller scale. It's not really meant for these gigabyte files. Um, so it is kind of a, there's a pros and cons to it. Um, definitely, uh, I know Kaleidos is trying to work towards implementing more APIs and maybe using this uh, you know, Kit's book of business as sort of the initial feed. Here's here's your introductory book of business for everything, and then switch over to APIs to get your 
um, enriched data, any fields that are missing from there, or, uh, or maybe just asking for any changes whenever you feel like it. So I think they are trying to push towards more APIs. But at the moment, it really is a, a more bulk transfer of data, sort of set schedule, not, not real time. And I just think the nuances with that. So again, even just the fact that we have a standard, but even the delivery of, of how the information is updated, when it's updated, and how it would be replaced becomes very challenging then for if you roll that down to an individual advisor to actually leverage. One, they don't necessarily get access, their distributor gets access. So I think we need a solution for advisors to be able to portabilize, you know, their client information. And then two is the latency. I mean, you know, when Rich talks about one carrier does it near real time in five minutes, and the next most frequent deployment of the payload is weekly. You know, when I think about the speed of information today, a week, you know, we, we don't read newspapers because the information's stale from the following day, let alone, you know, a week out of date. So I think, you know, again, things like policy changes, beneficiary change, we need that kind of information reflected real time because those sort of actions trigger other actions downstream. And a lot of times, again, clients will call into the carrier themselves to update this information. The advisor doesn't know unless there's a system to disseminate and push that information down to them, notify them of changes. Again, in the sake of customer service and, and compliance, I think those things are important. I think, again, they're important for, for even sales uh, aspects. You know, if we see a beneficiary change, it's, it's a good reason for an agent to go say, you know, is everything okay at, uh, at home? Mm -hmm. right. Richard, Charlie, do you want to talk about um, sort of who Colitis is and what a kit speed is for folks who are listening who may not know? Sure. So I'll start with the kit speed. The kit speed is is the XML structure. They, they actually offer a few feed standards for carriers to follow. Um, there's app notifications, there's pending fee, feed, and there's the book of business as the, sort of the, the life cycle of, of a policy. Yeah, so Clias, so they're a body that is looking to standardize all the information exchange between the carriers and MGAs and, and so on. So they, they have taken the Accord standards, which is a larger body, and they've they've kind of cut out a chunk of that to use in the insurance industry, especially here in Canada. There's basically a, a few carriers that are part of Clytus's board and our members. Some carriers aren't even a part of it yet, so I know they're trying to expand and uh, get their voice heard and really trying to push carriers to utilize some of these standards. And there is some momentum, and uh, I think everyone here is in agreement that we want more involvement from the carriers and more buy-in. And that's where the struggle is to find some incentive for the carrier to actually follow these things and uh, push them to, uh, to follow these standards. What's the motivation for the carriers? Because obviously there's so much ownership from everybody but the carrier to get the data, but the only person that has the data is the carrier. And we've seen it, Charlie, we talked to advisors and they say like, well, I've requested my data two weeks ago, but I haven't gotten it. Or I'm waiting on the files or they said it's sent and I don't have it or even uh, getting a feed and it's a year ago or only doing it once a year because they don't want to have to go through the struggle. So why is the responsibility for getting the data on the receiving end and not on the giving end? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, I don't want to completely throw carriers under the bus here. I think, you know, running even a small tech organization is difficult to align priorities at the best of times. 
Um, we really do see a divergent though on the new business side of these feeds versus the in-force side of feeds. Um, so there, there could be a conflicting priority on the insurer side. Um, a lot of times, you know, when we have approached carriers, you know, there's a legitimate concern that they have priced in what's called shock lapse price um, into these products. Meaning that if enough of them don't actually go over their renewal point on the term, they are not profitable for the company. So from an actuarial standpoint, you know, there can be some hesitancy to, you know, giving real-time feeds of book of business. Because again, it could mean that too many policies get converted, too many policies get exchanged, not enough of them actually go over. Now, I don't think that's a valid enough reason. And especially when we talk about the fair treatment of consumers to say that, you know, that should be a, pri- a priority limiting. But if you're looking at your bottom line and saying, you know, which side of the business should we invest in? I can appreciate why new business has got uh, perhaps more investment into that side of the business. I think the other thing is, you know, when we talk about some of the data points that are out there, Rich can talk more specifically about, you know, how these products come in, but they're very nuances, nuanced in, in terms of their layers of coverage, right? We might think about it as a term policy, as a product that has certain options like convertibility till 75 or um, conversion, those kind of things. But you can also have a term product that's layered as a rider on a whole life product with say options like a optional disability benefit. So how do you know, how with all these different products out there from the different carriers, do we, do we layer and and give this coverage with the type of information that I think, you know, folks like myself and and like Aaron are looking for in these policies. Um, Like Aaron, I can imagine at the ultra high net worth side, when you're looking at some of these enforce insurance policies, you know, there's a lot more you'd like to know than policy number, face value, current cash. And and those are some of the attributes that just aren't, you know, they just don't exist because of the archaic policy admin system, right? So you can only get squeeze as much information out of the stone. And, and that's sort of these, you know, sometimes these policy admin systems, uh, where again, carriers have, you know, if you look at someone like Manulife, they've acquired, I don't know how many different insurers over the years, each with their own policy admin system. So again, investing in that to bring it together, you know, I can appreciate the challenge there. At, at the same time, I think it's it's large enough a problem that we need to address it because it's not insurmountable, uh, again, in today's day and age. Yeah, I like to think like the more we talk about the importance of feeds, and I'll, I'll touch on like a few really like salient reasons why it, uh, it matters, it, more people will understand why it's critical. An insurance advisor, you know, the average age is well into their 60s. I do not expect them to understand Canadian insurance technology uh, feeds, like the, the kids' feeds we talk about. That's that's not um, you know part of their purview, and I don't expect it to be. I I know the insurance carriers don't like for any malicious reason like not supply these book of business feeds. I'm a free market capitalist myself. You know, I I uh, I can appreciate investing in in new business and having a balanced priorities. The huge investments you've seen insurance companies made in technology in the past three years. You know, even we'll go back to, to 2016. Uh, if you reference Kaleidos's online, it's posted on their on the public side of their website, the, their implementation progress. And they, they look at the three different kinds of feeds. You've got your pending, you've got your, your apps, and then you've got your book of business. The pending and the app feeds, like implementation across all these insurance companies, there's a lot of check marks there. So there's a lot of investment and efforts the insurance companies have made 
And there's dates, you know, most of them are, have been in the past three years because all of a sudden they had to become e-commerce businesses overnight. Um, so there's there's really been an investment in technology where it drives new revenue. But personally, I find it concerning that there's not been as much of an investment for the book of business feeds. So those are existing clients. And, you know, the uh, Canadian Council of Insurance Regulators, they've they set a precedent already when they said insurance companies should invest in technology to service existing contracts, including they called out legacy business during their total cost reporting enhancement highlights that they published in 2022 and stressed dealers have a duty to provide information and uniform standards related to pertinent data. Now that hasn't flowed over to individual life and health contracts. And I really just think that's because there's not enough people having cohesive conversations across distribution channels and across, you know, we're all sort of in a competitive environment and it can sometimes be national accounts versus MGAs and insurance companies versus insurance agents. And then we've got add the regulators to the mix and layer that in further with everybody's got different rules based on their province. And there's a, a lot of chefs in the kitchen, but um, I like to have conversations with people of all different um, backgrounds in the industry and let them know the importance of these book of business feeds. If I'm an insurance agent and I'm looking to exit my business in the next five years, I'm going to want to get my book of business valued. And I feel that when they go to get a picture of what their book of business is, they might be surprised to realize how very, very hard it is to capture that. And how do you value a business if you can't capture it? Are you getting the full value? That would upset me. And furthermore, as a, a young person in the industry who might be looking to purchase a book of business or take over their parents' book of business, um, I would want to sit down with that advisor and review all of those individuals and, you know, understand the reason why the insurance was purchased. Tell me a bit about their, their family or their company so that there's an effective transition of business. And you can't do that with eight different Excel files reporting on different data points. So I think we've made a lot of progress, but we're, we're pretty close, I, I'd like to think, to... Uh, to having like standards on the, the life and health side and making sure that gets in the hands of the, the individual agent. Is there any recommendations you can see from obviously seeing both sides, both the investment and the insurance side that you're seeing in the investment side that could be brought over to help the insurance side of the business in terms of like regulations or even just like set standard, like like we talk about having these set standards come from the higher regulating body saying, no, we need to have this at all levels so that everyone's on the same playing field. You know, they're very different regulators. You've got Ciro, right? The former IROC and MFDA and compare that to, is they're like self-regulating bodies on the insurance side and difference province by province and prescriptive base to say you should do what's in the fair treatment of the customer can be broad, right? If I'm a lawyer, I'm taking that apart. Like <laughs> that, that leaves a lot of room for, you know, d defining what that means. As a former salesperson, it pains me to say that we might need more regulation. So I'm not going to say that. What we just need is, is better technology and it'll start to resolve itself. You cannot ignore policies if you can easily access them. 
it's a pain to go and find a policy issued in 1986 and get the original sales illustration. In fact, it's probably impossible unless you have that manila folder Charlie referenced, <laughs> right? Um, God forbid there's a flood in your office and the files get ruined. I really think that if we use CCIR's fair treatment of, uh, of customer guidance and take a look at what they did with the total cost reporting, that we would land with the technology to enable distribution channels and the individual advisors to do what they want to do, which is service their clients. These are things that don't just exist. Like Charlie, you said the term policies are added on riders. These aren't just small policies. It's affecting a lot of policies. Was there 20, 20 something million policies across Canada, right? That are in force right now? Something along that lines? Something so. like that. CLHA uh, posts their, their data on policies online. And I think it was 2022 or 2021. It was almost 22 million individual contracts. Manulife is on the side of delivering book of business data feeds. If you look at that Colitis Implementation Progress Report last updated in May of this year, you'll see them on there, but that doesn't include, for instance, the standard life business that mm -hmm. they, they acquired, right? And I'm sure they made certain assumptions on the profitability when they acquired that business. And maybe they didn't know at that time that we'd be over here talking about AI and book of business data feeds. I'm sure they didn't, you know? Um, but I don't see why that policy holder shouldn't be given the same standard of care that a new policy holder is being given. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with the rise of AI and APIs are being integrated everywhere, like we've seen it on from everything from small small kind of businesses to like Reddit is all over with their API background. With open banking taking that that API, how how can we like push that a little bit harder or further with the, the insurance industry, or is these is that something that could be you know widely adapted shortly or soon by the carriers to provide that feeds directly without these you know, set feeds. I think a lot of people hope that open banking is going to be sort of facilitate the pathway to these kind of feeds in the insurance space. Generally, things in the finance uh, world happen first and trickle down. So I think, I think it will no longer give people the option to because when you empower consumers to say, you know, you have the right to access your own information um, and the information, you know, what other distributors have on you, you know, not just how does the insurance carrier, how do the partners and who holds that information on you? I think that will force the sort of transparency through. And I think a lot of people are hoping that open banking sort of paves that, that same pathway um, for the insurance carriers to, uh, to get on board. Although again, even, you know, working with some of our bigger distributors have really helped other carriers jump on board on the kit speed. So I think, again, showing a new value proposition and, and showing them that path to revenue um, or why the investment makes sense um, is really the first stage in that journey. Mm -hmm. Well, it's going to encourage longer lifetime value for the, for the carrier at the end of the day. If you're renewing the same advisor or the same MGA and you're changing from a term to a, you know, maybe a UL or into a whole life, uh, it's just going to be that long time value as opposed to just a 10 find out you have this crazy renewal, you cancel, and then that's a loss policy. The hamster wheel of always trying to add new product on as you lose other product. And, but, you know, at the end of the day, we, we often came across this objection when selling our policy automation to carriers early on. Actuaries would say it can't possibly be profitable, we'll convert too much. And, and our sort of retort to that was, you know, wouldn't that be nice if 
if every client out there had sort of the cash flow to be able to convert to a permanent policy. We all know that's not true. Cash flow, finances, it's still not the right product for everyone. But you know, the worst case scenario is policy, you churn, they go to another insurer and buy a T10. When was not selling an insurance policy not your primary core business? That, that you would do nothing at risk of converting rather than selling something new and replacing. And, and like you say, Matt, keeping that lifetime value of your customer much higher, particularly with all the stats around you know, how expensive it is to acquire a customer versus retain one. It's like 80, 80% higher. Mm-hmm. So, well, going to the future then, how, how can we, I mean, Aaron, what, what steps would you say we need to take from all levels to kind of help facilitate this transition? I'd love to see advocacy groups, industry advocacy groups, uh, get behind promoting that we need book of business data feeds. You know, if I'm an advisor who sells $5 million a year in new premium at an insurance company, and I find out that my, you know, preferred insurance carrier isn't playing ball with servicing clients or allowing me to, to capture my book of business, I might think twice about whether they're the appropriate carrier for my clients, you know, based on how they treat existing clients. You know, we've, we've talked about like the possibility of having a petition open up where uh, an advisor who's like, yeah, those, those folks are right. That makes a ton of sense. Why wouldn't we want this and have that sort of shared in their circle? Sounds kind of grassroots, but sometimes that stuff works. Uh, It's really just trying to like relay what's in it for everyone. What's in it for the insurance company? Man, I think it's great for our reputation to provide better service. What's in it for the advisor, the tenured advisor, capturing your the value of your book of business? What's in it for the new advisor? Organic business development. There's a lot of money to be made in working with existing clients. Certainly makes it easier than cold calling or going door to door at a business plaza. What's in it for the regulators? They can actually determine whether there are orphaned clients. They can uh, do an audit much more effectively at the carrier. Carriers could audit their MGAs much effective, like much more effectively. I think there's a lot of people that win. Most importantly, the consumer. I think the kids feed is kind of the, that first step, right? And the kids feed, um, after the kids feed is adopted by many, the next, the next challenge is, okay, we don't want to deal with, you know, five different kids feeds, right? So an agent has <clears throat> multiple carriers they deal with. They don't want to get multiple of these kids feeds. So the next step is along that, that uh, open banking idea. So <clears throat> LDA probably isn't the only one in this space, but wanting to have all all these, all your data in one location, right? So that's going to make it even easier rather than getting it direct. So something that helps the advisors gather those book of businesses into a central location. That's the dream for an advisor. And imagine a new advisor in five years can come into the industry, pump in their advisor code uh, for a block they just purchased and, or even just log in somewhere and their entire block they just purchased is there. Accessible, ready to be uh, ready to be used and, and analyzed. That's, or uh, before they make a blind uh, faith leap, they can actually value it beforehand. Again, right. I think it's underappreciated. Um, many of our, the, our viewers or listeners, I suppose, um, from the MGA channel will appreciate how much work goes into valuing a block of business because the MGA actually has to buy it off the other MGA. So it's not just an agent decides, hey, I want to sell this today. They don't exclusively get to decide. Sure, there is a negotiation, 
but that other MGA also has to pay the, you know, those fees and, and take on that, all those trailers. So, you know, it, it, it would be solving a large, large issue out there uh, for a lot of different people who maybe don't always get the their voice heard. And again, as much as we hear about succession in our industry being a, a huge issue, if our average broker's age is past retirement uh, or what we would traditionally think about retirement, then you know there's going to be a lot more of that going on in the future. And so to have an efficient process is going to be extremely important. You've mentioned the big carriers uh, moving over to this process with others being at the end of the year. But Aaron, if people want to learn more about what carriers are participating already actively in these book of business feeds? Where can they go to find that information? Colitis, they, they have their implementation progress posted online, last updated uh, May 2023. And I'm also going to be publishing something. Big thanks to Echelon Wealth Partners <laughs> for letting me put together this piece that, that summarizes it. So the, the app feeds, the pending feeds, the book of business feeds, um, they're all on that implementation progress report. But uh, in this like brief white paper, there's just an easy snapshot of like, here's who's doing it, here who is working on it, and here who doesn't have it on their you know, technology roadmap for the foreseeable future. And then I would focus on that last column and you know, sing it from the rooftops that like, please start working on this. Distributors is like a huge part to, to getting this done. The individual insurance advisors, it's hard for them to form a collective voice across the country, but there are only a few distributors in Canada and uh, it'd be easier for them to say, this is something we need to have. But that, that implementation progress report would, would be the most detailed summary. I think this was a very, very good conversation. We've talked about a lot, but yeah, there's a lot, lots to still move forward with in the future. And we can just kind of keep advocating on our side uh, and working with the different channels to you know make this what we right now are calling a fantasy a reality right so look forward to a brighter future <laughs> well thank you aaron uh for joining us and rich and charlie and i look forward to having you on again in the future perhaps okay thank you. always right. a pleasure thanks matt Take care. thanks guys And that's a wrap on today's episode of Policy Pod by LDA. Before I go, I just want to express my gratitude to our incredible guests, Aaron McKee, Rich DeRitter, and Charlie Conron for joining us and sharing their valuable insights. We believe that everyone's voice deserves to be heard, especially when it comes to matters that affect all of us. If you feel as passionately as our guests do about the importance of easier access to your block of business feeds, we urge you to take action and make a difference. Head on over to our website, www.lifedesignanalysis.com, or any of our social media channels to find the petition that we've created, advocating for this crucial cause. By signing the petition, you can add your voice to the growing movement seeking positive change in this area. And together, we can bring attention to the issue and push for the necessary changes. Thank you for being a part of the PolicyPod community and for standing up for what you believe in. Your support and engagement makes all the difference. The conversation doesn't have to stop here. Like I said, we have a group on LinkedIn called PolicyPod by LDA. It's a place where insurance professionals like yourself can connect and share ideas and discuss anything related to the world of life insurance. So come to LinkedIn and join the conversation there. I highly encourage you to also go to www.lifedesignanalysis.com 
If you've never used our platform before, you can sign up for your 15-day trial, or if you're just interested in seeing the platform, you can sign up for a demo with one of our customer support team, and they'll walk you through the entire platform, top to bottom, to show you how it can enhance your practice. Thank you again for joining us today for this episode. I look forward to the next one. Have a wonderful day.